Hey guys, welcome back. And this week, I'm very excited to have my friend Ross from where oceans burn here. How are you doing, Ross? I'm not too bad, man. Thanks for having me on. Ah, oh, no worries. I've been wanting to have you on for a while, actually. He's just been trying to find the uh, the right time with everything that's been going on. <laughs> oh yeah, it's been an absolute nightmare. But uh, first, I feel like I have to... This is maybe a bit old news at this point, but I have to kind of congratulate you and your band on a your bigger kind of small EP release with your new song on it. I absolutely smashed it, guys. No, thank you so much, man. We're really, really chuffed with it. It was a nice way to sort of end off the year and close that chapter for the band. Yeah, I mean, we'll get we'll get on into that later on. But first, I kind of want to take it all the way back. When did you kind of first get interested in music? Well, music's always been a part of my family. My mum and dad have both been fairly musical. Uh, my mum more openly. My dad, he was in a choir when he was younger, so he'd usually rather not sort of talk about it. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, See, the first time I really saw myself getting into music was, I think I was about 11 or 12 at the time. Um, my dad took me and my brother to see Green Day. That was my first proper gig. And nice. just the, the pure electricity in the air, it completely sold me on it. And I had to get a guitar and had to start learning little bits and pieces just to get work towards that. So that would be probably the... The, the first time that music really sort of gripped me and it's pretty much held on ever since. I had a very similar experience, except I was sitting in school. This must have been like 2012. And my friend came over and said, hope you heard the new Green Day song. And uh, it was Let Yourself Go, the one where it's just like three minutes of him telling someone to fuck off. And it just kind of, <laughs> in a similar way, it just kind of blew my mind. It's like, people can say this? Like... <laughs> Yeah, I had this exactly the same reaction to American Idiot. That was my first time like hearing actually like swearing in music because prior to that, I'd probably the most extreme thing I'd listened to was like Fall Out Boy back when like, the sugar were going down. <laughs> By the time I really started taking music seriously, uh, I would have been about 17. Um, I just finished mm. my GCSEs and went in and did my first year of sixth year, got my ASs and then thought, this isn't for me. So I decided to go to college and do a music course. Um, mm. So a lot of the experience I had sort of with the scene was mostly through talking to friends and going to like small local gigs. So it was mostly like pub gigs and stuff like that. But from what I've seen... Um, Some of the listeners might not know this, but you're from Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Northern Ireland, just outside of Belfast. But from what I've seen, um, friends I've kept in touch with, the metal scene in particular is very sort of intimate and quite small but by like for all intents and purposes it's still quite healthy um yeah. the, i think that the, the problem over there is just it it really is like a freckle on the arse cheek of the world so it's kind of difficult <laughs> for any sort of expansion to happen yeah but, but it's it's i suppose it's quite good that it encourages people to go towards um like actual hubs so like for me it encouraged me to come to manchester so i could actually do a degree and get more involved with the actual like vocational side of things. Well, speaking of Manchester, we'll move on to that because this is where we first met. Yeah, uh, we obviously went to the same university at BIM. Yeah, you were one of the first people I actually played with at BIM when we had that. Um, I think it was I can't remember the lesson name, but we played Valerie. I think it was. Oh, the, yeah. Oh, what did you call that class? Uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, but but uh, how was it? How did you find it? Kind of moving from ireland over to manchester was it a kind of a big change or yeah well, 
it was a really, really daunting thing for me because I've always been a bit of a homebird. Um, so I thought like university would be a good chance for me to travel and to go somewhere different and just kind of do the whole student experience. Uh, but I was definitely, I was really, really nervous for coming across. Uh, but I was fortunate that one of my friends from college uh, came across with me and we were in the same flat and everything in student halls. So I had that familiarity um, and that sort of social catalyst. Uh, mm. But from there, I, I pretty much took like a duck to water after a while. Once I went out during freshers and had a few pints with people, um, I made some of the first friends that I, actually, I'm still friendly with a lot of them now. Uh, so I, yeah. I think it, it was really a lot less daunting when I actually got over and just really jumped in head first. It is kind of like just you got to just jump in the deep end and you kind of quickly realize that it isn't really that hard to kind of meet people and kind of get into kind of these kind of groups of friends. Yeah, it's all about just taking that first sort of leap and forcing yourself out of your comfort zone because it's it's the best thing you can do. And especially being a musician where a lot of networking is literally just walking up to the people and introducing yourself, having that first sort of experience with it and just like a simple social context is so, so helpful. I still find it so weird, like some of the people, obviously we all kind of met towards the start of third first year and now like what people are doing now and like especially during COVID when everyone's either gone back home or it kind of feels like we're all kind of being like kind of adults for the first time and I felt like a really dumb sentence to say I can't wait to hear that again when I'm editing. <laughs> <laughs> no I, I get what you mean it's like now that we're finished uni like the academic stuff kind of weeded out the people who weren't necessarily as I don't think it's fair to say they're not as serious about it but it wasn't what they thought it was going to be yeah. you got the people who were more i say probably more driven in that sense to stick at it and get it done and now that we don't have the safety net with university we are kind of just have to make like the best use of what we learned what would you say like thinking back like through uni like what are some of the kind of the regrets you have you think because I, I think one of mine would be i wish i'd done more networking like a lot of the people I wish I'd made contact with, I see them doing like these cool projects. And I'm like, I wish I'd like spoken to you in first year. Oh yeah, no, I was, I would definitely be the same. Like there's a lot of people who've done very, very big things that I only sort of spoke to in passing and then never really spoke to properly again. And then you see them doing like workshops and stuff and they've like completely mastered their instrument and everything. It feels like you've just, you've watched, you've just watched the opportunity fly by. It's like, ah, fuck, it's gone. Oh yeah, no, that's just, I feel that's kind of the nature of the music industry as well. And there's probably people who think the same thing about what you've been doing as well. Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> but uh, one opportunity you definitely didn't miss, Where Oceans Burn. Yeah. Let's take that right back. How did Where Oceans Burn begin? Uh, well, I joined the project in August of 2018. Um, was that summer of, uh, summer after the first year of university? Um, yeah, I just I saw they were looking for a guitarist and I auditioned for it and got it. Obviously, I knew the other guitarist, Ben, uh, through university because I had a lot of classes with him. Uh, but before I was involved, it, I think it was another project um, or like the members were a part of another project. And then when that broke down, where Oceans Burn sort of came into being with Ben and Ozzy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I joined in August, then Alex joined... Oh, must have been, I think like October, November time that year. It was pr pretty shortly after I joined and we completed the lineup. But um, 
yeah, I didn't think that. Well, at, at first, I wasn't sure like we were gonna do as much as we have done now. Yeah. I wasn't sure whether it was just gonna be another, uh, you know, basically like another stepping stone to what I'd actually end up doing. But the caliber of musicians that I've ended up working with, it, it's just it's compounded and it's made something that I'm really really proud of. When was that moment? Because I've had this moment when you kind of you've had a couple of rehearsals, you kind of kind of get like the idea of what the project they want to do and you're kind of like this could either like float or sink but then you have that one moment where you're like this is going to happen for me i think it was when i think we just recorded the first single hollow heart um and we were planning uh like the release and everything for it and then we got to play the bim end of term gig and actually play the original music to a yeah. crowd for realistically the first time and it was just feeling that sort of that energy and the crowd giving so much back to you as well. It just something felt right. Like we we had something and people seemed to really vibe with it. It's that's kind of the best feeling. It's like you've made something and people are going, Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Like we like this. Yeah, again, that that musician stink face is the, the best <laughs> oh, I feel like that doesn't exist exist in any other industry. It's like you look at someone and they're pulling a face and you're like, ah oh, good, that face. <laughs> 100 they even like i remember um back when i used to work in a hotel um there's a band just playing and the guitarist just ripped this mad solo and i was just with a tray of wine and i gave him a stank face and he gave it right back and it's just a universal oh, language honest oh, there's, there's that slight gurn in the head nod just like, yeah <laughs> so how does the writing progress pro- progress Okay. How does the writing process kind of work with Where Oceans Burn? Is it kind of you all sit and kind of work out a tune or is it kind of someone comes up with kind of the structure and you all kind of add your little bits to it? The way it's worked thus far has pretty much been uh, Ben and Ozzy have been writing the instrumental stuff. And then when they get that to a decent standard where they have like what we think is going to be the main structure of the song, um, they'll send it to me and Alex. We'll get cracking on writing lyrics and like vocal melodies and vocal patterns. Um, we'll bring all that together for a first demo. Then if, well, what we had done for the first three singles was we went and did pre-production with a good friend of ours, Miles. Um, basically just to try and get the most out of the songs and get us a different set of ears from a, like a different scene. Yeah, basically just tell us what's good and what's shit. <laughs> But um, now we're looking to write uh, more material because we're looking to record an EP in the coming year. So we're trying to change up the writing process a little bit. Like I'm trying to be a lot more on it when it comes to the instrumental stuff and just trying to see if maybe having like different people writing together will give that little burst of creativity and we can come together and have different ideas and really start to refine our sound more. Yeah, I get what you mean. It seems like it's easy to kind of be creative by yourself, but unless you've got someone else there to kind of keep you on track or bounce ideas off, you can kind of, I don't know about you, but I often struggle. I, I kind of need someone there to be like, oh, you should do this or don't, oh, don't do that. Yeah, definitely. Having the, the collaborative uh, approach to it really is, it's so, so helpful when it comes like when you're in a writing block and you just can't think of something, just having someone to sound ideas off is invaluable. Obviously, there's comes the stresses with working in a group and everything, and you know potentially not seeing eye to eye on different things. But it's all practical oh, yeah. stuff that you you're gonna need to know for working in the music industry in any capacity and working on projects. 
so it's it's been a really good sort of natural way to get used to how everything runs now it, it is kind of like a case of it it teaches you to kind of lose your ego a little bit and kind of be open to like this isn't about you being impressive it's about the song being good you know yeah yeah you can there's i suppose there, there's some room for ego when you're really passionate about an idea but definitely being open to negotiate about ideas is the best way to get the most out of a song i feel, I feel like that's kind of one of the best parts of like when you're in you know you're in a good band it's when you can kind of like talk to your bandmate and say i think that idea was a bit shit how about we try this yeah. you know you can kind of be a bit more constructive and not like feel insulted when someone says your bass solo is shit you know <laughs> yeah once you that's another thing like working in a band that's doing more as i'm sure you've experienced yourself you view it more as like a business thing so it's less yeah like your, your own personal feelings don't typically get in the way as much when it comes to creative decisions it's mostly just like you're saying it's not as a personal thing but purely because this is how I feel about this particular thing. So you, you're not, no, you're not getting definitely. lost in the semantics of it. You're just saying, this is how it is. This is how I think we should go about doing it. And that's just, it's so freeing because it means that you're no, you just objectively yeah. look at things. It's like, I feel like I didn't realize this back in first year, but like I realize it now. It's that when you're making like a piece of music, you've kind of got to think of it as a product. Like you said, it's, it's more of a business. Yeah, no, it's uh, learning how to, market yourselves and to sort of build a brand identity is the whole other side of it that you never really see or you never really hear about until you actually get involved with it because like mm. as a consumer all you really see and hear is like the marketing campaigns and the music you you put them together but you don't constantly think about the effort that goes into doing all of that extra material oh yeah it's like all the social media planning and the content planning and the release schedules. Like, oh God. <laughs> oh yeah. No, like um, the way Ozzy runs a lot of the social media stuff, he's really clued in about a lot of it and he's just learned how to target ads and everything better. And we've seen a fair amount of growth just from him learning more about that. Oh, that's fun. I think that's another thing I kind of regret. I wish when I was at uni, I'd taken some of the business courses because I realized how important it is yeah understanding the business side of it and even just understanding like the business jargon is so so useful because i remember uh, in first year learning just like basic vocabulary for music business stuff and understanding what some contract terms meant like i've seen mm. stuff like that come up in different messages and stuff so like understanding that has already been valuable i can't imagine what it would have been like if we'd done a couple more years of business stuff and really dug into it yeah actually speaking of business in first year like during like the first week or two how depressing did you find it when it was just kind of like here's how the music industry works and it was just kind of this almost um just like the curtain no yeah it's like here's like the, here's the tough truth it's like you all know that it's a tough industry but it's more like it's almost an impossible industry yeah it's, it was very i think in a positive term we'll, we'll say it was enlightening yeah <laughs> yeah learning just kind of like how everybody makes their money in the industry and like if you're a capable artist and you make something that is objectively good how many people will try and latch onto that and take a percentage oh yeah listening through obviously the new ep that got released listening through it a couple of days ago to get myself refreshed i wanted to ask where do you get your inspiration from from the lyric for the lyrics lyrically i 
I suppose I take a fair bit of um, inspiration from the likes of Normandy and Polaris. Um, quite different in terms of sort of genre, but I've really tried to focus on getting like a solid theme for a song and making something that's more cohesive. So rather than just having words on a page, having something that uses like imagery um, and symbolism to really communicate what you want to communicate and trying to basically sit and refine that. Uh, I'm trying to think of is anybody really else. In particular, for the most recent single um, before the EP launched, uh, The Only Home We Know, I listened to a lot of Rise Against and really got myself into that sort of like political environmentalist mindset and really trying, did some, trying to do some research into different concepts to cover with that. Because yeah, it, it was The Only Home We Know, the one that really stuck with me because I, I'm all kind of like, I'm worried about, as everyone should be, I'm worried about the environment. And like just listening like to the song, I was like, oh, this just really kind of hit me a little bit. Yeah, that, that's that's always the goal. You want something that people can relate to and that talks about real world problems because like the whole objective of art is to make people uncomfortable and to really yeah. bring out the stuff that needs to be talked about. Now, I guess even then, that goes right back to when you first heard Green Day play an American Idiot. Oh yeah, I think when I saw them, it was the 21st Century Breakdown Tour. So oh, nice. Not as political, but even just hearing all of the, the different classics, like even listening to 21st Century Breakdown, 21 Guns, um, then going back to like, just uh, She's a Rebel, Letter Bomb, oh, yeah. covers such a, a wide variety of topics. And definitely I think that really has played a part in it as well. Whether it's been more subconscious, I could definitely see a lot of my, my primary influences coming back. I was meant to see Green Day this year and Obviously, now I haven't and won't for a while. And oh, it's so horrible. I've never seen them live. Oh, they're so good. They are so oh. good. With Fallout Boy and Weezer, which... Oh, uh, yeah, that sounds like an amazing gig. Actually reminds me of uh, a gig I saw a couple of years back. Um, it was the Red Hot Chili Peppers, supported by Fallout Boy and Cage the Elephant. Oh, that was sick. Yeah. It, oh, I, yeah, very, very good. <laughs> Reminds me of a gig I saw once. I never got to go, but it was the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and they were being supported by Baby Metal. And I don't know why I didn't go, but it's maybe the biggest regret in my life. Yeah, it sounds really like, strange, but also it probably slapped really hard. <laughs> uh, I wish, I hoped they had done like a song where they all came out on stage, just flea jumping around like these, just the. Oh, Japanese schoolgirls. Yeah. <laughs> so strange. I, should... I feel like that look a bit questionable. Oh, yeah, just a, a big shirtless man with a bass guitar running around. <laughs> scantily clad miners. <laughs> oh, yeah, biggest regret of my life, missing that. No, I did. I, I would love to see Baby Metal just on their own because I really got back into listening to them um, with the new Bring Me the Horizon EP drop. Mm. Uh, obviously, there's a track on that where Baby Metal features. And it it's very, very good. <laughs> it's such a guilty pleasure as well, because you're like, oh, you know, big, big masculine shouldn't really like that. But then it's like, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, yeah, that that's that's really, really good. It's just like good fun music, you know? Yeah, it's just kind of throw your head out and just go nuts. So have you have you got much else planned then? Uh, although we are stuck in COVID, so I feel like it's, that's a bit of a... 
not much answers to go with. Uh, yeah, well, we, we had a couple of things we wanted to do. Um, like we were planning to film some instrumental playthroughs, but obviously now being in lockdown again, we can't meet up with anybody. Um, we have another small release in the works. Um, can't really say all that much about it at the moment. Want to keep it oh, keep it as a as a surprise, but it's going to be a, a more sort of marketable idea, and I think people are really going to enjoy it. We're hopefully get hopefully going to get that out uh, before the end of the year. But aside from that, once the new year hits, we're just going to be writing for the EP and trying to trying to get that sorted as quick as possible. As and when we start gigging again, we'll, we'll just we'll have to see how things happen. But we're just trying to keep up momentum as much as possible and prepare for the future, rather than just worrying about yeah. what's going on now. Because if you did that, you'd just be crying all the time. <laughs> yeah, true. I feel like I'll send to a, a friend of mine on a different episode. It now is the time to kind of get stuff planning and get stuff in the works, especially when. There's not much else to do. Oh yeah, Larry. Just having an idea as to what you want to do when you have the facility to do it means that you save yourself so much legwork when it comes to actually doing it. I suppose the good thing about COVID is for those who are actually still able to work, um, it's a good opportunity to save a bit of money. So that's what I'm doing because with me working night shifts, I'm able to save money for any future expenses that I want because I'm not able to go out and do much. So I just sit with an extra bit of money in my back pocket. So that's the one thing about night shift. It's a different kind of tired. Yeah, I've never done night shift. And like any time I've said like a family member, I'm like, I might do a night shift. They just sort of go, don't. Yeah, no, it's Mm, like, like, don't don't get me wrong. The work's not necessarily difficult. It's just, it's exhausting when you do like three, four days in a row. Because the first time I was doing it, um, obviously I was doing my dissertation and everything at the time. And I was doing five nights a week. So like... I, I have never experienced stress like it. It was, it was, yeah. but now that I've not got much else on, I can deal with being a bit tired. Mm-hmm. All right. There's, there's my plan for the rest of the day. Call up Tesco and be like, hello, please. <laughs> yeah. But definitely it's not something you want to do like long, long term. Cause like, there's been all sorts of studies done into it. Like people who do night shifts for like the majority of their life, like knock like 10 years off their lifespan. Oh Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, not the one. Not the one. <laughs> not the one. <laughs> but thank you very much, Ross, for coming on. It was very enlightening. Uh, if you haven't, got everyone go check out Where Oceans Burn. They're on Spotify. You can find them on Instagram. And uh, yeah, Ross, thank you for coming on. Thank you very much for having me, man. It's been lovely talking to you. And uh, everyone else, I'll see you next time. That was that was a shit last line. I'm editing that out. <laughs> <laughs>